And so would you guys just help me welcome Pastor John this morning as he comes and ministers to us today. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, David. Appreciate it, man. Praise God. How's everybody doing at Life United in Lake Charles, Louisiana? Wow. It's so good to be back here. Uh, actually, um, last weekend we were out in Wyoming. Uh, some of you may not know this, but we pastored out there for about seven years. We're Louisiana folk, but uh, we were out there for seven years and they had a reunion. And so they asked uh, me to come and speak. I asked Sandy and I to come and we spoke at Sunday morning, had a big barbecue. By the way, uh, man, the barbecue and bullets, I think I would drive back to Lake Charles for that one. I mean, that's just... <laughs> You don't want to miss that. That that just sounds like a great time. Barbie, good food and shooting. I mean, come on now. I mean, it's it's great. So anyway, we were we were out there uh, enjoying uh, Wyoming in September, and it was great. And so we felt like, man, we were just like home. And then we get to be here this weekend, and and in South Louisiana, where we got the best food and the best people on the planet. Can somebody say amen to that? And so, uh, so it's just good to be back home. It's just like two weekends in a row. We get to be, uh, be back home. And so, um, uh, Lake Charles will always, always, always hold a very, very dear place in our hearts. And is, is, uh, is, uh, uh, we're able to come back and we're invited. We'll always be back here. I promise you. So it's so good to be here this morning. Um, I want to share a, a, um, story with you and it's going to come in a few minutes that just really stuck with me. It happened years ago. And, and it really just stayed in me. I just have not been able to shake it in this experience that I had several years ago, or many years ago now. And, and this message I'm going to preach this morning, I'm going to lay a foundation. I'm going to build a foundation. And so most of you, if you've been around me, you know I like three points. I'm a kind of a three-point pastor. And so I will get to the three points, okay? So I don't get, don't get distracted because I hadn't got to my three points in the first five minutes. It's my first point in the first five minutes or so, okay? So I want to build this, I want to build this foundation before we get to that, uh, to, 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 the, to the three points. But I want to begin with this thought. I want to begin with this thought. Uh, the thought is, is that, that what is your dream? Everybody should have a dream, right? Everybody should have a dream of some sort, something that they're longing for, something that they want, something that they desire, something that aligns with the way that God created us. You know, we, we should all have a dream. Can somebody say amen to that? I mean, nations have had dreams. People have had dreams. Great leaders have had dreams. And, and I like what someone said years ago about dreams. There are those who dream and there are those who make dreams come true. There are those who dream and those who make dreams come true. I was uh, in the, in the, again, last weekend we were in the, in the church there. And, and, and a lot of the things that God placed in our hearts years ago, we, we actually got to stand and see part of that dream that had been established many, many years before that. We got to see it firsthand. I'm going to tell you, I got a little emotional when I was sitting up on the front row in uh, the, as they, you know, service began. I was like, oh my, this is just amazing how to see, see what God can do if we'll just dream. Great speeches have been given when it comes to dreams. Leaders from all over the world have given, they've stood and they've expressed dreams that they've had. One uh, that comes to my mind is President Abraham Lincoln gave a very important speech at Gettysburg, November 1863. And a part of his speech really was um, pointed and, and directed towards the dream that he had. And here's, here's what he said, that this nation under God, how many believe that uh, it's a good place for America to be under God? Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. This nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And that the government of the people, by the people, 
for the people shall not perish from the earth. How many of you know that's a healthy, healthy dream to have? What about President Kennedy at Rice University, September 12th, 1962? He was talking about going to the moon, which obviously had never happened before. Putting a human being on the moon. As a nation, we, we could do that. This is, what, this is what he said, and this is just a small piece of the, the speech that he gave concerning the vision that he had, the dream that he had, and that we should have as a nation. He says, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and to do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Don't you love that? Is anybody here that realized that any dream that you have is not going to come without work? Any dream that you have or any dream that a church has, an organization has, whatever, it will not come easy often. But how many of you know it's worth fighting for? It's worth contending for. It's worth not giving up. If you've got a dream, maybe the Lord wants you to hear this this morning. Don't give up on the dream. Kind of a better amen than that. Thank you. One of the classics, one of the greatest, Dr. Martin Luther King's speech given in Washington, D.C., 1963. Here's a part of the dream that he had. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. How many of you know that that's an important dream? And how many of you know in America we're still working on that one? But let me just say this. The only way we can get that right in America is it begins in the church. Can somebody say amen to that? Dreams. Big dreams. Have you ever considered, though... Have you ever considered that Jesus has a dream? Have you ever considered that God has a dream? And and I like to, if some of you have been around me a little bit, you've heard me talk about this. But I like to point out that indeed Jesus has a dream and he gave his I have a dream speech. And when, in the moment that he gave that um, I have a dream speech, it wasn't at the beginning of his ministry, actually it was towards the end. And it wasn't in a great hall, it wasn't in a stadium, it wasn't in front of thousands and thousands of people. Actually, it was in front of about 12 people that most people would have never gathered around them. And it was right outside of a small city. And so Jesus is with his 12 disciples and he spoke and he talked about the dream that he had about the future. He asked about, uh, he asked the 12, he said uh, to, to the 12 that were around him, what are people saying about me? What are people, how are people addressing me? How, are, how, how do people view me? And so he got a, a variety of answers. But I like what Peter said. Peter said, I know who you are. I know exactly who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the son of God. You are the one that we've been waiting on for a long time. And I love, I love what Jesus said. This is my paraphrase. Jesus says, Pete, you weren't that smart. You're not that smart. You didn't figure that out on your own. God, my Father, helped you figure it out. How many this morning believe that God can help us figure out some things that we cannot figure out on our own? Maybe today you're wrestling with some things that you're trying to understand. Maybe you're trying to sort through it just in your soul. I'm going to tell you, there are certain things you'll never, uh, you'll never understand about life unless you allow God the Father to help you understand them. Amen? Sometimes we try to sort it out and we feel the stress of trying to get it all figured out. Listen, if you'll just turn to God and say, God, help me see this, help me understand this. He's good at helping us understand things. Jesus immediately turned to Peter and said, yep, you're exactly right, Pete. You got that. And I'm going to tell you who you are. 
You are no longer just a person that's pushed here and there. He said, from this point forward, I'm going to call you Peter. Your name is, means rock. You're going to be solid. How many of you know when you turn to God, you turn to Jesus and let him reveal some things to you? You, you may have drifted for years, but because when you understand who you are and how God sees you, what happens is, is you become solid. You become, you have, that really is the beginning of having a solid life where you can begin to run the race that God's called you to run. But Jesus still wasn't done. He still wasn't done. I don't know how it looked. I don't know what Jesus did. I don't know if Jesus looked at the disciples when he said this. Or I don't know if he looked into the, like, looked into the future. Almost like looked into the sky. Looked into the infinity of the sky. I don't know how it looked. But I do know he said and made a statement that contained five words that really contained his dream. Are you ready for this? This is Jesus, I have a dream uh, speech. Matthew 16, 18, he said, Did I tell that you are Peter on this rock? I will build, watch this, I will build my what? My, I will build my what? Watch this next part. And he said, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So the question is this, what was his vision? What was Jesus' dream? What was Jesus seeing that day? What was Jesus predicting? How many of you know when Jesus predicts something, you can count on it, it's going to come to pass? If he predicts something, if he says it's going to happen, I'm telling you, you can count on it. Well, so when Jesus said, uh, I will build my church, everybody say church. He was using the word ecclesia. He used the word ecclesia. And it's, it's where we get the, the term modern day church from. But, but what I want you to understand is what Jesus saw, the ecclesia, was not just a, a group of organizations. He was not looking to the future and seeing a bunch of buildings and facades. What Jesus was actually seeing is that he was seeing people. He was seeing individuals. He was seeing beyond the cross the moment that he would die on the, on the, on the cross. It wasn't just a place that he was seeing, but watch this. He was actually seeing a gathering of people. He was seeing a gathering of people that would transcend generations. And he saw these gathering of people. And these gathering of people were not just gathering for a non-specific reason. But he saw these people that were gathering and he, that they were gathering around a purpose. And it wasn't just any purpose, it was his purpose. Again, we're talking about Jesus' dream. He's looking to the future, looking beyond the cross. And he, again, he wasn't looking at just a group of people that were just wandering around, just got together and just left where they were at. But they were gathered around a, 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 a purpose. Watch this. And as they gathered around this purpose, listen to this, they became an unstoppable force. So what, what was Jesus seeing that day? Here's what Jesus was seeing. Jesus was seeing the church gathered around uh, his purpose. And as people gathered around his purpose, not their purpose, his purpose, what happened is he predicted that there would be a force that hell itself could not stop. What was he looking at? He was looking at the church that Jesus came to pay the price for. Again, you know what he was looking at? He was looking at me. He was looking at you. And he was saying, my dream is for them to be an unstoppable force. Are you following me this morning? Again, stay with me. I'm going somewhere. How many know that there were times that Jesus said things that he didn't elaborate on or he didn't explain? Right? He just said them and kind of went on to the next thing. 
You read the Gospels and you'll see it many, many times. Jesus would, uh, I'll give you a great example. Jesus uh, said this. He said, um, if I be lifted up from the earth, what's going to happen? I'm going to draw what? All men to me. You know, over the years I've heard people say, well, that's a great praise and worship scripture, Pastor John. Oh, that's great. We just get in and, and what, what did we call this we had last Friday night? The encounter. I love that, by the way. How many of you know, if when you come and you worship together with one thing on the agenda, you come to worship together, God's going to be there. Amen. You're going to encounter God. I encourage you, don't miss the next one. Do not, mix, do not miss the next one. I guess that's what it was, right? I'm assuming it was praise and worship. Yeah, okay. Just want to make sure. Don't miss it. Are you with me? Don't miss it. Nudge your neighbor and say, don't miss it. And so, so with Jesus, so, so when Jesus said that, he wasn't talking about praise and worship. He was talking about the kind of death that he was going to die. Later, later, the apostle Paul, in his writings, began to talk about Jesus dying for us. But he talked about Jesus' death being our death. He talked about Jesus taking our place on the cross. He began to talk about things. So he revealed and he opened up what Jesus said on a greater level so that we can understand what Jesus was saying. How many of you are thankful that Jesus' death was our death, that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross? That's what Jesus was talking about. He would, he would pay for every person's sins. He would become sin for everybody so that they could have a relationship with God. So this, this scripture here, when Jesus said, I have a dream, um, and the dream is I will build my church, he didn't explain it. He didn't go into details. But later again, there would be this gentleman by the name of Paul that really um, explained and actually clarified exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, I will build my church. Because when Jesus said, I will build my church, he said that, and he was, he was saying that, but that's not what he was seeing. Because when you take that scripture and when Jesus says, I will build that church, build the church, what it looks like is that Jesus would be in the earth today. Jesus himself would be in the earth today and he's putting the church together. But how many of you know that, that Jesus is not on the earth today? Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of God. That's where he's at. And so a little bit later, after, the, uh, after Jesus uh, died and was buried and was resurrected, a little bit later, uh, a few years, but. Oh, 20-something years, 30 years, something like that. I have to go back and study it to, to get the exact number uh, of years. But, but it wasn't long that, that there was, again, this gentleman by the name of Saul. And he was a young Christian. He was a young... No, he wasn't a young Christian. Actually, he was a young Pharisee. And as a young Pharisee, he was sort of the guy that was going to be at the top of the Sanhedrin one day. And, and so, so you have the, the church that was born in Acts 2. And then, then, then you, have, you have the Jewish community that was trying to stop a lot of what God was doing in the church that we're a part of today from Acts 2. There was conflict there. There was persecution there. And Saul was leading the point as far as persecution was concerned. I mean, he would take people out of, the, out of their homes. He would drag them out of their homes. He would have them beaten so that they would reject the name of Jesus or being a Christ follower. You know, sometimes we think we've got it tough. As Christians, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to share my faith with somebody because somebody may laugh at me. <laughs> at least, at, as at present, we're not getting drug out of our house and getting beaten for our faith, right? So he's doing this, and he thinks he's just doing the will of God, and he's 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 he's, he's just going along with his life. And then I love this. And then Saul has a come to meeting Jesus. Watch this with Jesus. How many of you ever had to come to a meeting Jesus with somebody? You know what that means? I mean, they just kind of line you out and straighten you out. 
How, what would it be like if you had to come to meeting Jesus with Jesus himself? <laughs> right? He's persecuting the church. He's doing what he thinks right. And then all of a sudden about noon, what happens? He gets knocked off his donkey. And he's on his back. He can't figure this out. And, and he, he, begins to, he begins to talk to, to Jesus. And, and then Jesus begins to talk back to him. He says, I don't even know who you are. And Jesus says, I'm telling you who I am. And this is what happens in Acts 9, 4. He fell to the ground and heard a voice, uh, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, watch this, watch this. Why do you persecute who? Me. Now, again, Jesus said this. Remember, going back to the, 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 the I have a dream speech. Jesus said, I will build my church. But what he was seeing, watch this, what he was seeing actually was that he said, I will build my church. But actually what he was seeing was we will build the church. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus uh, revealed to Paul a very important piece of the puzzle here. He, he, he revealed this. He said, everybody that confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior is actually connected to me. Are you following this? There's a real connection. The moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, watch, me, watch this, listen to me. You became connected to Jesus. Not going to be connected. You are connected to Jesus. Nudge your neighbor and say, I got connections. <laughs> right? And you're, you're connected to Jesus himself. Are you following this? So again, from that, the Apostle Paul, a few years later, began to write these letters. And in these letters to the church, he began to talk about, if any man be what? In Christ, he's a new creation. If any man is connected to God, they're a new creation. And he began to talk about how God's people are connected to him. He began to talk about the body of what? Christ. Jesus being the what? Head. And we're, we're what? We are the what? We are the what? Body. That's the connection. So Jesus, when Jesus, again, he was seeing that. He was seeing him as the head of the church. He is at the right hand of God. But in the earth, in the earth, he saw his people that they were connected to. He was seeing the church. He was seeing you and I connected to him, gathered around a purpose that becomes an unstoppable force. That's what he was seeing. That's God's dream. That's Jesus' dream. What he was seeing was he was seeing, I'm going to unpack a little bit more. What he was seeing is that he was seeing this relationship. It's the word I want to use right now. This relationship with him, but also he was seeing the relationship horizontally. The relationship that we have with one another. And the importance of that relationship. Listen to me. God's dream can only come true as we are relating to Him properly and also as we relate to each other the same way. Listen to me. In our church, we relate to each other the same way. In, our, uh, in, in, in God's way. Uh, in our homes, in our marriages, we relate to each other the way that God relates to us. Now follow this. The relationship with God affects every other relationship that we have. When this relationship and we're relating to God the right way and the way that God wants us to relate with Him, then that relationship affects all the other relationships. Are you following me? If this relationship is working, then the other relationships are going to be healthy. That vertical relationship with God affects the horizontal 
relationships that we have. Now, here, 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 here I'm getting to my, my main point. The problem that we're having is that for decades, we have told people, and rightly so, we have told people, if you want your life to be different, you need a relationship with God. If you want your, if you want your life to be radically changed, you need a what? A relationship with God. Everybody say relationship. And it's, it's absolutely, absolutely important. And it's so true. But at the same time, there have been relationships have been under attack. And I'm going to say this, and please do not be offended by what I'm about to say. And if you don't like what I'm about to say, Pastor, Pastor Dave will be here next week and I won't be here. But there's a growing number of children growing up in single parent homes. Let me say this to single moms and single dads. God bless you. You got one of the hardest jobs on the planet. Thank God for you. Let's give everybody, everybody that's a single mom and a single dad in this place a great big hand because it's a tough, tough deal. It's tough. Statistically, fewer people are getting married. In the United States, fewer people are getting married. Relationship. Relationship in a single parent homes. Listen, marriages are ending at a record pace. Relationships. Listen, we call folks on social media friends. What is that? That is a relational term. And then there is, it is not covert, it's very overt attack on what we call the nuclear family. So what's happening is, is that the world, watch this, the world is constantly defining and redefining, watch this, please pay close attention to this, what relationships really mean and what they are. And if, if, you, if, you, if you think this is just a trend, I would agree with that. But I would say it's not just a trend. Follow this. Actually, it's a tactic of the enemy. It's a tactic. Because today, there are fewer and fewer and fewer examples of what real relationships and what a real relationship is and what it looks like. There are fewer and fewer examples of... Um, husbands loving their wives like Christ loves the church. Fewer and fewer examples of wives submitting to their husbands as to the Lord. There are fewer and fewer examples of honor in the family. And we say, well, that's just a trend. That's just the way it is. No, no, no. I believe it's a tactic of the enemy. It is. So here's the story that I mentioned at the beginning of the message. It just rocked my world. I've not forgetting, forgotten about it. It's happened almost 20 years ago, probably. So I had a friend of mine. We, we ministered in Scotland, pastored in Scotland. We were missionaries in Scotland for a few years. And his name was Colin. Colin, he's in, he's in heaven today, but I'll never forget. It's a story that Colin told me. 
Uh, Billy Graham came to Glasgow, and, and, and if you're not familiar with who Billy Graham is, Google him. He's really one of the greatest evangelists that's ever lived. Probably more people that have been saved through Billy Graham's ministry as an evangelist than anybody else. Just amazing. There are others that probably rival him some. But, so they came to Glasgow, and what uh, the Billy Graham Association did is that they uh, went to the local churches, and they um, invited individuals of the churches to become volunteers to help do the crusade. So Colin volunteered, and, and how many knows that volunteering is a good thing? Amen. Thank you for that overwhelming response. But anyway, um, so, so Colin volunteered to be an altar worker at this Billy Graham uh, crusade. So Billy Graham um, gets up and, of course, he preaches one of his classic amazing messages. He gives the altar call and guess what happened? Tons of people come out of the stadium seats onto the field. It's a big soccer field in Glasgow. Come onto the field and they start moving towards the platform, which also was the altar area. Colin was there at the altar area. And he said there was a young lady that was walking towards uh, him and they just sort of caught eyes. And so she's got tears in her eyes and moving towards him. And as she got close, he reached out and, and, and shook her hand, introduced himself. And he asked this question. He said, do you know what happened to you when you prayed? You know what that meant a few moments ago. This is what the way that they were trained. Do you know when you prayed that, what, do you know what that meant? You know what that was really about? She's got tears in her eyes and she said, I, I, I really am not sure, but I know I needed to. I knew I needed to and I know I feel different now. I know there's something different about me. So again, uh, Colin, following, following the script that he had been given and trained, he, he made this statement. He said, when you ask Jesus to be your Savior, he also became your Father, your Heavenly Father. So that moment that that young lady straightened up, looked at him, her whole countenance changed, and she said this. She said, if God is anything like my Father, I don't want to have anything to do with him. That happened, I was told that story almost 20 years ago, and that got into my soul and it's not left. It's still there today. It's still there. Here's my point. God has got to be revealed in the earth like never before. And the only way he can do it is through his church. That's his dream. But I believe that when we say we have a relationship with God, it's not really a relationship. Because we are in a place where it's harder and harder to really understand what a true relationship is. Are you following me? What a true relationship really is this reason I, 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 I alluded or I mentioned not alluded I mentioned some of the statistics so the question is this morning how do you relate to God what is your relationship with God like who is he to you and how does that compare or how do you measure that in regards to what the word of God says in regards to how he relates to you? So, how many is ready for the three points? Here we go. Number one, watch this. Number one, God is your friend. God's a friend to you. John fifteen fifteen, Jesus said, No longer will I call you servants, for the servant does not know what excuse me, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Watch this, but I have called you what? I have called you what? 
For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made it known to you. So what, the, the question is this, what is a true friend like? Listen, here, here, here's, here's what a true friend is like. A true friend will not bail on you in tough times. <laughs> a true friend is not going to leave you hanging in tough times. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples, uh, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get in the boat. I want you to go over to the other side. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know what happened. They get out in the water. They get out in the lake. They get out in the sea. What happens? Big storm comes. They're freaking out. Jesus is asleep. But, but, but when, when they wake him up, when they wake him up, they, they, didn't, they didn't see Jesus bail out of the boat and start running on the water and say, hey, save yourself. <laughs> Which he could have done that, right? I mean, Jesus could walk on water. He could have got out. He could have woke up and said, yeah, it is. This weather's kind of bad right now. I think I'm out of here, boys. Oh, he taught them a life lesson. And what did he do? He spoke to the storm. Listen, everybody listen to me. Jesus is not afraid of your storms. And Jesus is not going to bail on you in your storms. He's going to be right there with you. He's going to walk with you. He may, he may not always stop the storm, but he's, he will walk with you through the storm. And have a better amen than that. Jesus, God, our God is our Father. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But He's also like a friend to us. Friends don't bail on each other. Friends don't leave each other. Proverbs 18.24 says, There are friends, I like the parentheses that the Living Bible puts in there. There are friends who pretend to be friends. Watch this. But there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That is God. A, a true friend believes in you and won't quit and won't give up on you. How many, how many are thankful that Jesus is in the Bible? I mean, excuse me, Jesus is in the Bible. That's good. Uh, Peter, <laughs> Peter is in the Bible. Aren't you thankful for that? Because I, I, love, I love it, I love it, I love it. And I've, I say this all the time. If Peter's in the Bible and Jesus let Peter hang around him, we've all got a chance. Right? How many of you know, Peter, Peter told Jesus one day, he said, look, wherever you go, whatever you do, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm not bailing. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you to the end. You go on the cross, I'm going with you. Only to when Jesus is about to go on the cross, what did he do? Peter's like, see ya. Even to the point where he denied even knowing who Jesus was after Jesus had done all of these amazing things for him. Could you imagine what happened in Peter, what Peter was feeling after the cross? Could you imagine how he was torn and how he was hurt? How he so wished he could go back and redo what had happened. Then one day Peter gets a message. And the message was, hey, Jesus is alive and he wants to talk to you. What would you have thought if, if you got that message after you had rejected Jesus? Like, oh, another uh, come to meeting Jesus with Jesus. Right? How many of you know what happened? He had to come to meeting with Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? I forgive you, Peter. As a matter of fact, he didn't even bring up the past. He didn't bring up the fact that Jesus was, uh, that Peter rejected him. You know why? Because Jesus knew he could do nothing about Peter's past. All he could do was something about his future. And, and listen, his mercy was bigger than Peter's mistakes. Maybe I came here this morning to let you know that, that God's, listen to me, God's a friend and his mercy is bigger than your mistakes. That's what friends are like. He's a friend. He won't retreat. He won't let you retreat. That's what friends do. So there was a second time that Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat. That was after the first storm. Right? 
after the first storm. So Jesus says, get in the boat, go the other side. And they were like, no. Do you not remember what happened the first time we did this? Do you not remember the storm that you had to bail us out of? And I love how the scripture puts it. The scripture says that Jesus demanded that they get back in the boat. Because a friend will make you and help you face your fears. You want people around you that will help you face your fears and your weaknesses. And not just tell you how amazing of a person that you are. You want people that will be real with you. Can I have a better amen than that? But here's the thing about friendship. Friendship, listen to me, it's reciprocal. So God is a friend to you. But watch this. Are you a friend to God? Wow. God's a friend to you. But are you a friend to God? Tell him I said hello. Somebody's watching the game. That's all right. I'm not moved. I've had worse things that happened. Yeah. God's also your father. He's your father. First John 3, 1 John 3.1. See what kind of love, watch this, the father has given to us. Aren't you thankful for this? That we should be called children of who? Children of who? Children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that uh, it did not know him. So, so here, John writes and he says, God could have chosen all these different ways to relate to you. But he chose to relate to you as a what? As a what? As a father. <laughs> as a what? As a Father. God chose to relate to us as his children. What does that mean? That means God's, listen to me, God's love is infinite. And listen, so is his commitment to you. A a, a father, and I think this is so powerful that he chose to relate to us this way. Being a father cannot be undone. In other words, if, if, if a child is born... Conceived, we know how that how that happens. Father, the mother. If a child is conceived and that father walks away from that child and says, I never want to have anything to do with that child again, it doesn't mean that that father's DNA is not in that child anymore. In other words, you can't undo that. Listen to me. The same is true with God. Not only does he love you and his love is infinite, his commitment to you is also infinite. God cannot walk out on you because you belong to him. He doesn't want to walk out on you because you belong to him. Can somebody say amen to that? In other words, God's spiritual DNA is in you. That can't be changed. It can't be changed. So the question is, how do I, how do I, how do I know if I relate to him as my father? How, how do I know that? And the answer is this. It's that, how much do you trust him? How much do you really trust him? Because, listen to me, kids trust 
think I've probably told this story here before, but um, my girls, are, we have two girls. They're, they're grown now. And uh, giving us grandbabies. Oh, it's awesome, man. I just said, keep them coming. Jesus' name. We love them. Um, but when they were younger, um, we were flip going through the channels one day. Uh, we just, you know, just channel surfing on the television and, and we're, we're watching it. And, and, and so we came across the Spanish channel. And, and so, so the girls, they were probably what, Sandy, probably six, seven, something like that. Six, seven years old. They're 18 months apart, so they're really close. They almost look like twins. Yeah. Say again. 16 months. I say 18. 16. They're 16 months apart. She won't forget that. I might. She won't. Um, so, so they're, you know, they're younger and we're going through the channels and we came to the Spanish channel and they stopped and said, Dad, what are they saying? And I thought, this is golden. This is a great opportunity. Because I know like no Spanish, like zero, nada, none. I don't know Spanish. And so, so I remember, I vividly remember this scene that, that there was a hospital room. It was like, it was like a, it was like a Hispanic soap opera, Right. And, and, and so they were, they were in this room and there was this, this person in the bed and there was a doctor standing beside and there was a, another one standing, a friend, or, uh, standing on this other side. I think the one in the bed was a male, just a dude. The other one was a woman. The doctor was in there. And I'm, 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 I'm looking at I'm listening and there's no subtitles, nothing. And I'm going, all right, here, here's what's going on. They would speak. And I said, well, here's what the doctor just said, that they have terminal uh, illness, that, that that person's bed's going to pass away. And, and, then, and then the other one, the other one uh, standing by the bed said uh, that, that, that indeed they don't really care because they found someone else that they're in love with and the girls are like going that is horrible how could they be doing that and i'm like oh this is great i mean they and so i'm telling you i i milked this one for months and months and months and months they would go dad turn to the spanish channel and translate for me and i would turn to the translate and i would translate for them i had no i had no idea what they were saying but you know soap operas are soap operas you've seen one you've pretty much seen them all right so I, I'm, I'm translating for them and, and it was all great it was i was having a great time until Haley started taking spanish and honestly, I didn't connect the dots. I was, uh, I didn't even think about, you know, I was just going, hey, okay, girls, let me turn, uh, you me, you me go, let's go to Spanish Channel, let me translate for you a little bit. And, and then Haley goes, oh, yeah, let's, let's do that, Dad. And so I'm translating, and she went, stop. Dad, you don't know Spanish, do you? <laughs> because she picked up a few little words in there, and she knew, I, I just blew it. So my point is, here's my point, I know this is not good parenting, this is not good parenting, but they trusted me. <laughs> And now I got grandbabies. This round two, baby. I'm telling you, it's just awesome. They're two years old, I'm already priming them. I mean, they think, they call me Big Daddy. They think Big Daddy's the most brilliant person on the planet. And I'm not going to tell them any different. And you better not either. So, <laughs> but, 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 but listen, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 2, verses th- uh, 2 and 3. It says, And calling to him uh, a child, he put him, the child, in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn... To him, watch this, and become like a child. Why do you say that? Because children trust. Children trust. Prodigal son. Came to his father one day and said, Father, I want everything that you did. Do you owe me? I'm entitled to it. I want my inheritance. I don't want to wait till you die. I want it now. You know the story, right? Jesus gives it. Uh, Jesus said that the father gave him the inheritance. The son went off and had a party, and it was a blast for a while. Then reality set in. Talking about trust, it was fun. It's great. Couldn't be better for a while. 
And Jesus said, then the young man came to himself. He spent everything, done everything, bought the t-shirt, done that. And he said, you know what, I want to go home. He said, I want to go home. I'm going to repent. I'm going to tell my dad, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't deserve even to be his son anymore. And he said, uh, he rehearsed what he was going to say when he got to his father. Father, one day he's looking out. He sees his son coming. No, oh, the father's heart just began to explode on the inside. He said, oh, so great. His son gets to him and his son starts his speech. And the truth was, this is the truth. The truth was that indeed he had walked down his father. He had done all these things. That was the truth. But the father hugged him, loved him, and restored him. You know why? That's what fathers do. Watch this. Because that young man came and he was giving his truth, his version of his truth. But see, the father had another version. And that version wasn't the same as the son's. The father's version was, I love you. You're my child and nothing will ever change that. And you don't belong being a servant. I'll restore you to being a son. That was the father's version. Here's what I need to say. When it comes to the two versions, yours or God's, always go with God's. Always go. Always go with God's. Trust God's truth over yours. And here's the final facet. I have no idea how long I've been preaching this morning, but I'm, I'm, I'm about to wrap up. <laughs> Someone's like, yeah, right. So, here's the final facet that I want to point out. These are three. I mean, there, there are more, but these are the three that I feel like the Lord gave me. He's Lord. Yeah. He's our friend, certainly. He's our Father, certainly. But He's also Lord. Listen, listen, this is a powerful scripture. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But set Christ apart, set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. In other words, give him this place in your life. In your heart, set him in this place. And that is, yes, a father, yes. As a friend, yes. But watch, set him apart as what? Who? Lord. Listen, when you allow Jesus to be your Savior, you're accepting what He's done for you. When you determine that Jesus is your Lord, you set Him aside, set Him apart in your heart. When you determine that Jesus is Lord and and God the Father is Lord to you, watch this. It's about what you're willing to do for Him. He's your Savior. It's about what He's done for you. If He's your Lord, it's about what you can do for Him. In other words, He calls the shots. How I'll respond to circumstances of life. How I'll respond to situations. He calls those shots. Not how I feel. Not what I want to do. But what does he want me to do? Where I go, he calls the shots. Not me. Not me. He calls the shots. What I do, he calls the shots. Not me. You see, because it's a matter of obedience. If he's our Lord, and that's how we relate to him, and we should, it's a matter of obedience. God, what do you want me to do? Not, I'm going to do this and you bless it. 
It's gotten quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. Where's Don? Remember that time I said that and someone called, a visitor called and said, I didn't know that, I didn't know this was a Presbyterian church. And she had to explain it. Well, that's just our pastor anyway. It's a matter of obedience. Listen to me. You've been bought with a price. You do what he wants. Now I'm wrapping up with this story. So, it's been a few months ago now. I was, uh, I had to stop and get some fuel. And um, so I got fuel. And, and how many of you know that there are these cool little slots on the, the fuel machine, the pump. And when you get done and, and the little screen asks you if you want a receipt or not, when you push yes, you know what's supposed to come out of that little slot? The receipt if somebody put the paper in there. Come on, somebody. Right? God bless them. Even though they don't put the paper in there. For us who like to get the paper and get on with our day. No paper. Go inside and see the cashier. I'm on the way in. As I'm walking towards the door of this convenience store, I see a guy sitting down on the left side of, on the, left side of the, uh, the door. I mean... You, you can't miss him. He's like right here by the door. And so as I get to him, you know, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be real and be honest. I was trying not to make eye contact with him. Don't act, don't act so holy. I know you've done the same thing. I was trying like, oh, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, get in the door. So I put my hand on the door and I open the door. It, I turn and he got made eye contact with me. He said, man, I need some help. And I thought he was going to ask for money. And I was already prepared for that because I'm thinking, well, if, if I gave money, he's just going to buy him on drugs, which probably was. He'll probably go buy alcohol with it, and he probably would have. But I put my hand on the door, and I opened, I looked at him. He looked at me, and he said, I need some help. And he said, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. Guess what God said in that moment? Feeding. God, but apparently you don't know my schedule. The only reason I'm standing here right now is somebody didn't put paper in that thing over there. And that's the only reason I'm here. This is a by chance only God. I'm just being real. But you know what God said again? My, my Lord, not just my father, not just my friend. But my Lord, he, he had the Lord voice, voice on. And he said, you feed him. Close door. I said, man, we're outside a convenience store. I don't know what's in there, but I'm going to get you something to eat. I said, you like bread? like bread. I said, it's probably got Vienna sausage or whatever. He said, I like just, I'm hungry. I said, I'll be right back. I ran in there, grabbed him some bread, Vienna sausage. I just grabbed him a bunch of stuff. Even a couple of honey buns. Something to drink. I mean, fella needs a honey bun, right? And you get to something sweet. So I gather it back up, put it in the sacks, pay for it, and I come back out and I kneel down. And he's just right here, just talking. I said, Bro, where you been, man? And he pointed across the road. There was a, a bit of woods, a little bit of timber. He said, That's where I've been staying at. So, all right, man, here's what I want to do. I'm going to tell you, well, there's this good shelter, and I'm going to tell you, tell you about that. You want me to take you? He said, no, I don't want to go to the shelter. I said, okay. 
So here, I got you some food. I'm getting the food. I'm getting the bread out. And I said, here's some Vienna sausage. And got you a little mayonnaise here. And got you some chips. And got you a honey bun. And got you some water. Here you go. And I said, hey, before I go, can I pray with you? He said, man, I need it. He said, I'm in a bad way. I need it. I picked up his hand. That, Lord only knows. I don't know when's the last time he had a bath. Picked up his hand. Just began to pray over him. God, did, thank you for your presence in his life. And for your plan and purpose for his life. And believe that you haven't given up on him. You haven't thrown in the towel that you love him. Meet him where he's at, Father. Touch his life. Provide every need that he has. Thank you for this chance, God, that I get to be here with him right now. Thank you. The privilege. So I got up. I love you, man. Love you too. It's a powerful moment. But what I didn't know is there was a young lady in a vehicle right on the other side of the pumps and she saw the whole thing. She saw the whole thing. I'm walking back over to my truck. This young lady, she's got tears in her eyes. She says, man, sir, that was awesome. That was awesome. I said, that's not about me. That's that's because I love Jesus and Jesus loves that man. She drove away. I'd love to say I always get this right, but I don't. I've walked by people before. I've done it. You see, what was so powerful is in that moment, it's not just what I was able to do and be Jesus in that moment to that man. But you know who saw God and what a relationship with God looks like? It was that woman. Are you following me? You see, it was at that moment because she saw that. It wasn't something that she heard somebody talk about. She saw it. She saw God's love. She saw God's mercy. She saw the whole thing. It just dawned on me, wait a second. Yeah, it was amazing to do that. But what was amazing is that she saw God. She saw God's love. She saw God being a friend to somebody. She saw God's mercy. She saw it. Ladies and gentlemen... That's how God's dream comes true. Because God's been merciful to John Welch. God's fed John Welch and provided for John Welch when he didn't have much. People need God. Are you a friend to God? Are you a friend to Him? Or is it just a one-way street? He's the one that's friendly to you. Is He your Savior? Or have you allowed Him to be your Lord where He really calls the shots? That's what God wants to know today. Because when you begin to relate to God, God, not only you're my friend, but I'm a friend to you. You're my father and I trust you. 
I submit to your lordship. And I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go and I'll be whatever you want. Where me to go or be, I'll do it. You see, when we begin to relate to him that way, this vertical, horizontal stuff begins to happen. And that's what makes God's dream come true. He's depending on us. He's depending on you. He's depending on you to fight for God's purpose. He's depending on you to fight for your marriage like you've never fought for it before. When you talk about the bride of Christ, people can say, yeah, I can see that in your relationship. I can see that in your marriage. I can see how a husband, I can see the way that you love your wife and you get that God loves you that way. Or or wives that you're also involved in that. And man, that's awesome. And you can say, well, that's just the way a relationship with God is. Are you following me? Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to connect the dots. We have to when it comes to relating to God. Because that's what makes his dream come true. Father, we come to you right now in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for your mercy, for what you're saying in this moment right now. This is so critical. It's so crucial that we get this right. God, we, by your grace, by your mercy, because of your truth, by the help of the Holy Spirit and each other, we, we're going to get this right. We're going to get this right. So, Father, as individuals are making decisions to have a real relationship with you instead of it being a one-way street from you to them, they're returning. It's reciprocal. They're a friend to you. You're their Lord. You're our Lord. I believe it's happening in this room. I believe it's happening for those that are watching online right now. Please, everybody, just for a moment, I need you to keep your heads bowed. Because God's, God wants to meet some people right now in this room. Or maybe online. He wants to meet you. And, and, and so let me just say that maybe you've been running from God. And your relationship with God's not where it's supposed to be. It's cold. It's distance. Definitely one way. It's Him towards you. But you've not been returning anything to God. And you know it. In just a minute we're going to pray a prayer. And the prayer is a commitment to Jesus Christ. It's a commitment. To allow Him not just to be our Savior, but our Lord. Also to forgive us of our sins. And if your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. When you pray that prayer, we're all going to pray it. But when we pray that prayer, you say, Pastor John, I'm going to mean this. Because I need God in my life like never before. I need my relationship not to be distant, but to be intimate. When I pray that prayer, I'm going to mean it. Would you just, nobody's looking around. This is private. Would you raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. When I pray the prayer, I'm going to mean it because I, thank you, ma'am. I, thank you. Thank you to my left. Thank you more. Thank you so much. Thank you to my right. I see that. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. I see you. Thank you. Most importantly, God sees you. Life United, let's, let's join our faith together and let's pray right now. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy forgive me father of my sins I believe that Jesus died for me he was buried now he's alive and I belong to him I accept him by faith as my savior but also my lord and I do it In the matchless name of Jesus Christ. 
thank you for not giving up on me. I'm all yours starting today. And everybody that agrees with that says a great big amen. Hey, I love to do this. Several people in front of you just prayed that prayer. Heaven went berserk. Went crazy. So I think we ought to give the Lord a big shout of praise as well. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah.